Well, good morning. We'll get to that video in a minute, but I just wanted to put my two cents worth in. I had a chance to meet Scott a couple of weeks ago, and I was very impressed with his ability to lead. He's a gifted leader. I think you're going to really enjoy having him around and an incredibly good communicator. And one of the things that I really loved about him is that he's a big picture guy, and he sees the future of the church very brightly. And sometimes when you get... When you think about the church and its future, it seems kind of dark some days because of the secularism and the pluralism that's going on in our culture. But um, I'm excited that he has a hope for the church, and uh, I think he's going to bring that hope and perspective here. So I trust God with that, and I'm excited about being, being around him and being on staff with him. So thanks for your prayers, and we'll look forward to meeting him next week. And by the way, next week is Bluegrass Sunday, so it's going to be a great Sunday. You guys don't want to miss that, okay? All right. Well, back to Esther, we left her off actually uh, actually telling Mordecai and the people, uh, the Jewish people, to make sure that they spent some time fasting and praying for her because uh, this was a huge, huge thing that she was determining to do. And it was about three days that these people actually prayed and waited. And it came to my mind the, the scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, many of you know this scripture by heart. And it says this, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like eagles and uh, they will not grow weary and they run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. As I looked at that scripture, I thought, is there something about waiting that we need to learn here? Because this was really a wise move by Esther when she told Mordecai, listen, you know, go and pray, have the people fast and pray for me. And I thought, what is the value, first of all, of waiting on the Lord? I wanted to start there this morning because I think this is a piece that we need to look at. The value of waiting on the Lord is, number one, we're going to gain new strength, the, 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 the prophet says. And it was a time for Esther, I think, to exchange the weakness that maybe she felt for the strength that came only from the Lord. Have you ever used waiting times to exchange your weakness for strength? Where instead of feeling weaker and feeling like helpless and vulnerable, have you ever thought about that those, those times of waiting can also be a great time of encouraging and gaining new strength? And then he goes on to say, we can gain an eagle-like perspective. We can gain an eagle-like perspective. See, it gave Esther time to think through God's plan and strategy and attack. And sometimes if we jump into something without taking the time to pray and to, to kind of cogitate over things and meditate over things and waiting on the Lord, sometimes the Lord reveals to us those next steps. And if we just jump right in, we don't get that opportunity. Thirdly, it says we are going to run with renewed energy. He says you will renew your strength. And it, I think it gave Esther some time to become more motivated to carry out God's plan that God was revealing to her. It just gave her a little bit of a boost to be able to spend some time with the Lord. Have you ever been in that situation in your own life where you've been waiting on the Lord and you begin to pray and you begin to, to connect with God and, and God just kind of gives you a renewed strength and a new energy and a new hope, a new encouragement. And I hope that that's what the church has gone through in this transitional period waiting for a new pastor to come, that we hopefully have been gaining new strength during this period rather than just marking time. And then lastly, it says we'll run and not grow weary. So we're not going to grow weary because God will help us persevere. Esther needed that time to become a woman of conviction and determination. That's why we use that little video. She had to be totally determined to be able to do this task that God was calling her to do. A risky, risky opportunity that she had. 
So I want to share with you this morning that first of all, Esther was a very wise young woman who was waiting on the Lord at least for those three days. And I want to give you principle number one then. Because before any crucial conversation, it is wise to take the time to pray and seek God's counsel. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to, to have a, maybe a confrontational kind of conversation? And, and sometimes it becomes more of an emotional thing and you just kind of gush and you kind of explode or you, you kind of just gush all over with your emotions and, and you've not taken the time to wait and to pray and to, to really prepare for that conversation so that you can come at it with some objectivity and some grace. Well, this is what Esther needed to do. And so she spent that time. And so it was wise to take the time to pray and seek God's counsel. So let's go to t- verses one through three in chapter five and look at what what happens here. So let's take a look. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. That was, must have been an incredible surprise to her since he had not summoned her for over 30 days. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. That was sort of a, 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 a phrase that was used often. But basically what the king was doing is he was saying, listen, Esther, I want to know what's going on. And I will give you whatever you need in order to answer this request that you perhaps have. So Esther had the courage now to, to, and the confidence to make herself available for the opportunity that the kings w- would give her presence. And I think about principle number two here, that God is looking to use those people who have the courage to walk their talk. You know, here was a situation where Esther had to take the step, that first step of faith, in order to accomplish the mission that God had called her to do. And how many of us don't really walk our talk, where we we say some things and they all become cliches. In reality, we're not really willing to put our money where our mouth is. I'm reminded of a story of, of Teddy Roosevelt when he was at a gala ball and, and all of them said the same thing and smiled the same tired smile repeating the right greetings by rote talking with their mouths not their heads or their hearts tired of shaking hands and smiling his big smile and responding with usual exchanges used at such occasions Roosevelt did something really crazy he convinced that no one was listening anyway he began to greet the rest of the guests by saying with a smile I murdered my grandmother this morning Everyone smiled and said things like, wonderful, lovely, keep up the good work. But one diplomat was listening, however. He leaned over and whispered in Roosevelt's ear, I'm sure she had it coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we laugh, but how much empty talk is in the church? How much empty talk? You know, we talk spirituality, we, we use our cliches, we talk our Christian ease, and yet How many of us are courageously taking steps to put our money where our mouth is? And so I encourage us to think about that because here, Esther, the bottom line here is that she stepped up. She could have walked away. She could have done all the right things. She could have used all the right cliches. But bottom line was she took a step of faith. Are you willing to take a step of faith this morning where God might be calling you to do something extremely courageous? So let's go to verses 4 through 8. Verses four through eight. So here's Esther's response. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. 
So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them, and then I will answer the king's question. It was almost like she was baiting him, wasn't she? It's really interesting how she, she talked about this banquet. And, and you know from the history of the king, remember when we all started this whole series, he loved to celebrate, right? Remember, six months of banqueting. Alcohol flowed freely. I mean, this guy was a party animal. And I think Esther was kind of going at it in a way that she could be able to share and say, you know what, king, let's, let's have a party, you know, and, and then, I'll, then I'll share. It's interesting that she did that. And I want to give you principle number three here because I think it's something significant. Sometimes the first step of faith is the hardest. But when the result is blessed, it gives us the momentum to take the next step. Here's what I mean by that. Esther takes this step and she walks into the court area. She wasn't in the presence of the king, but she at least took a step courageously. And the king somehow reaches out with a scepter and says, Esther, come on in. It's like, are you serious? She hasn't been summoned for over 30 days. And somehow she knew that God was in it. And because she took that step of faith and because he was so receptive, it gave her the courage and the motivation to keep going. I think that's really interesting. Because sometimes we're afraid to take the first step. And have you ever been in a situation where you've taken that first step and it's given you the courage to take the next step? Because God seemed to be so in it. Well, I think Esther was believing that there was some momentum here that God was creating in her life because that was her biggest fear is that she was going to go to the king and the king wasn't going to be receptive to her, right? And that she would probably even be killed for that. And immediately it was a shock almost, I would think, to her or a surprise that, wow, God, this is too cool. And it gives you sort of the momentum to go on. I, I, I'll never forget the day, first time I ever went parasailing. And, and um, it was a buddy of mine who, who had a really hot boat, and he was a, a pilot. And so, you, you know, you can't trust pilots, as you know. And, and, and he said, Tom, do you want to parasail? And I said, what do you mean, Walt? Do you want me to parasail? I said, I've never done that before. And he said, no, it's no big deal. That's a lot of fun. You'll love it. I thought, cool, okay. So he hooks me up in this harness, and I'm standing on the beach, you know. And the parasail chute is, is back there laying on the sand. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking... What am, I, what am I doing, you know? Because I knew Walt, he was such a hot dog, you know? And, and he was going to gun this thing, and I could just see me being dragged across the beach and across the water, and it was just going to be an absolute disaster. Well, he I, I, I came out of my mouth and said, okay, Walt, hit it. He hit that sucker, and man, I went up into the air, and it was like, oh my goodness, this is awesome, until he decided to cut the engine. But we won't, we won't go there and drop me over a bunch of trees. But the point was this. That first step, and I was launched. That first step. I wasn't dragged across the sand. And it gave me the energy and the motivation to just enjoy all of God's creation. And sometimes we're so afraid to take the first step. Amen? We just don't want to take that step, that, take that risk, and be courageous enough. And then somehow God comes along and he says, you know what? It wasn't so hard after all, was it? You know, I'm, I'm going before you. Don't you see? 
I've got a plan. And this is what I see with her. And I think it was a matter of waiting. For some reason, she decided, though, that she was going to put it off one more day, right? She was going to do the banquet, but then she decided to put it off one more day. And I thought, what wisdom there was in waiting. I don't know why she decided to do that, but, but look, at, look at this picture, would you? I, I thought this was really kind of cool. <laughs> I got this on Facebook this week and I just thought it was pretty neat and I just thought it felt really good there. Because she decides to wait a second day before this banquet came off, right? And I think there's great wisdom and patience in waiting, even if it's an extra day, especially in this case, all right? So principle number four is this, sometimes there's wisdom in waiting, So she felt led somehow to wait one more day before this banquet really took place. I don't know why she did that. I don't know why she did that. I don't know if something intuitive in her own heart, in her own spirit that that she was wrestling with and thinking, you know what? For some reason, Lord, you want me to wait an extra day for this banquet to come off. And and, uh, to, to to, uh, to be able to share her request is what I mean. And so as she took this extra day, uh, I, I tried to wrestle with this and say, why did she do that? And the only thing I could figure out is somehow intuitively in her gut, she must have known that there was something about God's timing in this whole thing that she didn't really understand, but somehow she needed to wait. So I think she had this incredible sensitivity at that point to the Holy Spirit. What do you think? Because it doesn't make sense. Why, why would she put off the request? She has the banquet and then she's going to do another night. And she says, I'll tell you, ne- I'll tell you tomorrow night. It, 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 I, don't, I don't get any logic out of that. Other than the fact that somehow there was an intuitiveness about her. And a spirit about her that she knew that she needed to wait one more day before she gave that request. It's just fascinating to me how God was in all of this. And the timing of all of this was just incredible. That's why I've called this message, timing is everything. Somehow, first of all, she had the time to wait. And then there was a time to take the step of faith. And now there was a time again to wait one extra day before she gave the request. We don't know why. We don't know why for sure. If God just revealed to her that night saying, don't, 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 don't say anything until tomorrow. I don't know what happened there. But I love the fact that there was this intuitiveness. And I wonder how intuitive we are to the Holy Spirit. You ever wondered about that? Wouldn't it be cool if, if you could go day to day and that still small voice was speaking to you all day long? I, you know, I, I, I would love to have that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in my own life to where on a day-to-day basis, you hear these little small voices saying, yeah, take that step right here. Why don't you share with this guy right now? I, I blew it the other day. I was, I was down at the Verde and I was talking to one of the deputies and, and she just shared with me and poured her heart out about a divorce she was going through. And, and you know what I did? I blew it. I, I left the office. I never prayed for her. And I, I remember God saying, you know, you should pray for her. And then somehow my time and schedule got in the way of it. And I got up and I walked down. I thought, doggone it. Why didn't I stop and pray with her? Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit's very careful and and he does speak to us and yet we sort of ignore it or we allow our busyness or whatever to get in the way. And I see here a woman that was absolutely in tune apparently with God's spirit at that point in time. And that's why she apparently delayed one more day. And we're going to see why in a minute. So let's go to verse 9. 
Haman went out that day, happy and high in spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him. And how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all. Haman added, I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. Why did she invite Haman, by the way? Why? I mean, what was the purpose? Okay. And she, was, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me so satisfa- no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him, have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to the dinner and be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the gallows built. And we know the rest of the story, right? I just think God has a great sense of humor here. So his wife and his friends tell Haman to build this gallows to hang Mordecai on. And it's fascinating to me how ecstatic this guy is about the opportunity to do this just before he thinks he's going to be honored at a banquet. I mean, this guy's ego was as big as life. But let's see what happens in chapter 6 during that second night. Let's take, take a look. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Have you ever had insomnia? I mean, this is probably what he was doing to, uh, to fall asleep. You know, let's read about history or Chronicles, right? You know, whatever. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officials who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Well, nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Well, the king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai and the gallows he had erected for him. I just got to laugh at this, don't you? Isn't this incredible? His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. And when Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? And of course, Haman thought, it's all about me, right? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn. And a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man, or let them robe the man the king delights to honor and, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I, I've been reading this and I just, I got to laugh, okay? And that's funny. It's just a riot, okay? The Jew who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He he robed Mordecai and led him on the horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. (laughs) 
Okay. Look at verse 6 again. Look at verse 6. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? I want to give you a principle here that I think I gleaned out of this. The world does not revolve around me. Here is a guy that thought it was all about him. Is your life all about you? I remember when, when Rick Warren read Purpose, wrote Purpose Driven Life. You remember the first page, I think, on Purpose Driven Life? He said, life is not all about you. It's about God. Here was a guy who was so ego-driven that he was blind to what was really taking place here. And you see how disappointed he was. He was crushed when he found out it wasn't about him. And so principle number six, I write, is when the world revolves around us, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. You know, it's, it's been fascinating for me to watch, and um, I don't want to stereotype too much, but I, I see a whole generation right now, especially uh, the 20-somethings. And back in my day, you know, as a teenager, it was all about us, right? It was all about us when we were teenagers. It seems like that has moved up into the 20-somethings these days. And there's such great entitlement, and it's so much about us. And I remember this joy principle. You remember that when we used to talk about this, where joy stood for Jesus first, others second, and you last? Here was a guy that allowed his ego to get in the way, and life was all about him. And we've got to stop the nonsense in our culture today, because all we get in the media, whatever we see, it's what? All about us. And the world doesn't revolve around us. And here was a guy that got caught up in that big time. And boy, did he set himself up for some incredible disappointment. Well, I'm going to stop there in the story because I feel like there's some interesting concluding things that I want to point out to you this morning as we stop here in the story. Because we're going to get the rest of that story next or in, in a week, two weeks from today. But here's some things that I, I really think that I need to conclude here with you. And, and, and let me just say them to you. First of all, number one, God is sovereign over all rulers of this world. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. I think about that moment when Esther decided to somehow expose herself in the king's presence outside the court. And he extends his scepter to him and says, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And I say, here's a pagan king, a man who had his own ego trip, the most powerful person on the earth at that particular time and place. But God was controlling that scepter as he was reaching out to Esther. And there isn't one thing that slips God's attention in our culture, in our world today, whatever ruler it is, whatever president it is, God is sovereign over all of it. Aren't you glad? We think about the coming election and we think about what's going on around the world today and it just seems like, man, it just seems like it's crazy. That God is still in control and he's like, as the king's heart, it's like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. God ultimately has a plan and he's working it. Here's a second thought. We can have a strategy but it's God who guides the steps along the way. 
I think of Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You know, it's interesting as, as I see Esther taking those three days to just kind of ruminate and have people pray for her and fast for her. And as she was praying and thinking... I was thinking how, I wonder what she was going through in terms of how do I, how do I make myself available to the king? What, what, what should I do? And, and all these plans that perhaps she was thinking about, strategies, some way that she could get the king's attention. Can you imagine what was going on in her mind and her heart for three days? Must have been incredible. But what's really fascinating here is that we can have all this strategy but, but it was interesting how I, I bet she was absolutely surprised and shocked because she maybe had a different plan. And when she walks up and makes herself, exposes herself to the king, the king reaches out with his scepter and is like, oh, well, that was easy. What a surprise. Because it was part of God's plan. And we can have all of these strategies and all of these ideas and all of these, these logistics that we're going through to figure out. And then all of a sudden God just says, you know what? I got it all under control. I'll figure it out. I'll fix it. Here's the third thought. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. I don't, I, I wish I, I knew why Esther waited for the second banquet to take place in order to reveal and give a request. We're going to look at that next week or in two weeks, but I, I, I don't know why. But obviously, God's timing was all about having that extra night. So the king lays awake, can't sleep, and comes up with this whole deal about Mordecai. It's crazy. I'm being really transparent here this morning with this story. But it just, I just am so involved in this story. It just, it's amazing to me. And it's interesting that sometimes we want to push the envelope, I guess. And, and we want things to happen today. We want to have the thing tomorrow. And sometimes I think we, we really realize that God's just not on our timetable, that he's, he's just always out there, you know. It's always longer than I really want to wait. And that's not always the case. I was thinking again about Joanne. Joanne Wallace and what she told me when I talked to her about Don passing away. She said, I, I didn't think God would take Don quite that quickly. I mean, sometimes God moves faster than we think. And sometimes it's just a day later and a day later, look what happens. Just one day later. It's amazing how God's timing is so perfected. And she didn't have any clue that he was not going to be able to sleep that next night. We don't have anything in scripture that somehow she had this vision that the king was going to have this, you know, insomnia and that she needed. I don't think so. She was walking by faith. Here's the fourth thought. We all should be prayed up and intuitive to the Holy Spirit when difficult situations need to be handled. I remember throughout this search process, there was one night where uh, I believe it was Clovis initiated an idea that he said, why don't you all come over to our house and let's just pray all night or as long as it takes for this, whoever this new pastor is coming. And I think of all the prayer and time that has gone into over the last year with the elder board and the search committee and all of you praying. And all of it really comes down to being intuitive to the Holy Spirit because you don't know. 
I always said that when you candidate a pastor, it's like marrying a blind date. Right? You don't know. But, but by God's grace, you pray and you have this intuitiveness about it and you trust the Holy Spirit that he's going to reveal to you and you have it sort of in, the, in your gut that this is the way it should be. This is, this is right. This is somehow it. And you do the best you can and you got to pray it up and be intuitive to the Holy Spirit when these big decisions come our way. And I believe that's what God's done here at Cornerstone. And then the last thing. God is always at work behind the scenes. You getting that yet? God is always at work behind the scenes. Sometimes when we think that life is, and, and what's really interesting to me, and we have issues in our own family life that, that, that Lynn and I struggle with, and you know, we're waiting on the Lord saying, God, are you still at work? You know, it just seems like you're not involved here, and you know, could you step it up a little bit? You know, you ever been that way? But what's really cool, sometimes at the very worst moments in our life, God is at the work the most. You know, we can all thank God for being at work when everything's going great, right? Oh, yeah, God, you're at work all the time. I love it. This is great. This is cool. But when life really gives you a blow and you get frustrated and confused and you feel vulnerable and you think, God, where are you? And he said, I'm still at work. I'm still at work. You can trust me. Behind the scenes, I'm at work. And it might be tomorrow, might be the next day, but I haven't forgotten. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still running the show. I'm director behind the scenes. And that's what he was doing in Esther's life. And we see this at this next moment as she approaches the king. So how about you this morning? Have you been waiting on the Lord about something in your own life? You're kind of in that waiting mode. Are you gaining some new strength during that time? Are you getting some momentum? Are you feeling more courageous? Or are you just getting maybe frustrated and, and angry? But the scripture says when you wait upon the Lord, you'll renew your strength. And you, you'll have an eagle-like perspective. Sometimes waiting is good for us. And I hate it just as much as you do. I thought about this question too when I... How many times have we reduced God's divine work to just coincidence? Ever think about that? How many times have, has God done some amazing things and we just say, oh, you know, wow, that was kind of cool. That was an interesting coincidence. We don't really say it's a coincidence, but do we give God credit? Just some thoughts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment in Esther's life where she took a step of faith and you honored it in an incredible way. God, I pray that there be more surprises in our own lives. How easy it is some days when we actually just take a step of faith and be courageous. How, how incredible you are and being faithful to honor that step. And here was a woman determined enough to get off the couch and be a courageous And God, you paved the way. For that person this morning, perhaps, Lord, that has been anticipating a 
crucial conversation or a difficult situation and they've been waiting and maybe at this point in time you're saying take that courageous step take that step of faith and I promise I'll go before you I have no idea Lord who's sitting here this morning but you do and you know people's hearts we just thank you for the courageous steps that we're taking right now as a church to bring in a new pastor and I pray God that you would go before us as a church knowing that you have great plans for Cornerstone. But you have great plans for all of us, Lord, if we just get on board and understand that you're always at work behind the scenes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you need prayer this morning, I'd just love to have you come up here and and there'll be some folks that would love to pray with you. God's triggered something in your heart and life this morning as we've gone through this message. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.